Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. You're listening to me, but as I always say in our program, I enjoy listening to you, or at least hearing from you, whether by regular mail or email or phone call or running into you. A lot of times I run into people or listeners, which is great. In fact, recently I ran into a number of very enthusiastic listeners down in South Carolina area. I was giving talks at the Family Honor Conference. Boy, what a great bunch of people down there in South Carolina at the Family Honor Conference. And I ran into a number of you. I believe uh, there is John Bruce as one of them I met down there and a few others that do listen to our programs. I do want to say hello to all of you and thank you for listening. Thanks for your prayers and all your great compliments. And of course, some of you write to us and many of you who do, and I have to admit it's very touching for me. Some of you who write to us are from prison. And I got another one recently, another letter from a prisoner. His name is Peter. And he says, I want to congratulate you on your 400th episode of Light of the East. I discovered your program last October and listen to it almost every week at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday. I am a Presbyterian, but I have an immense respect for all Christian denominations, especially those with a rich tradition like yours. It is great to tune in on Sundays and learn more about how Christians and other cultures worship our awesome God. So far, my favorite episode has been the one about the tradition of married priests in the Byzantine Catholic Church. It is also a special treat when I hear Katie Goulas on the show. She is very intelligent and well-spoken, and her perspective certainly adds to the show. She reminds me, when I was a young, promising graduate student, I wish her the best in her academic and professional careers. Sincerely, Peter. And again, I really enjoy your program. All the effort that you put into it is much appreciated. Keep up the good work. Sincerely, Peter. Well, thank you very much, Peter. And Peter is from the South also, from Segoville, Texas. So Peter from Segoville, Texas, thank you for your marvelous letter. Really, is very touching. And he referenced one of our episodes that had to do with the discussion of married priesthood. And in that episode, I was sort of, in a sense, defending the... Well, the true understanding, the kind of the more fuller perspective of this whole issue of married priesthood and some of the, well, some of the discussion and sometimes tension that still exists between that practice among the Eastern Catholics, where it is practiced, where the church is predominantly Roman Catholic, such as in America. There's been a history of a bit of a tension there. There's appreciation and tension all at the same time. And I dealt with that perspective. And again, as always, we try to grow in the sharing of each other's riches. This is why this program exists. I, I 
and dedicated in this program, the mission of this program, is the riches of both churches, both lungs of the church, east and west, but in particular the eastern churches. And the more we understand about each other, the more we can move beyond any kind of tensions or confusions or doubts or just misinformation. But let's face it, by and large, we are one family, one family in Christ that makes up, in particular, that Catholic Church, breathing with both lungs, east and west. And of course, we pray and work towards a day when all Christians will be united again, as we once were at the beginning. You know, there weren't all these denominations as such. Basically, there was just a way, the way. In fact, that's how Christians identified themselves early on. They weren't called Catholic or even Christian. They just said, we're people of the way. This is just the way we live. We follow this way of Jesus Christ. And that's really how it was meant to be. Well, a lot of history has happened 2,000 years, but one day we hope we all get back to just being able to say that we follow the way. Maybe, perhaps in different expressions and, and, and rights or however you want to put it, but who knows how it'll all develop. But mainly, it's about a way. It's not about my church, your church. It's about a way of living, a way of living the life in Christ. And our particular way of doing that or expressing that, of course, is from the Eastern perspective. Now, and I received another letter from a woman Catherine in California, Fremont, California, and she writes, I enjoy your radio program, bravo, for your defense in the Wall Street Journal of Eastern Catholics. May God bless you and your apostolate. Sincerely, Catherine. Well, thank you, Catherine. From another part of the United States, we had Peter from Texas. Now we have Catherine from California. A lot of fans out there in California want to say hello to. And what she was referring to, just like Peter was referring to an episode, a previous episode, she was referring to a defense I made on the programmer, but also on the blog, on the internet, of a Wall Street Journal article, which was talking about, was actually kind of taking the Catholic bishops to task about the safe environment policy and the whole sexual abuse issue. And in that article, however, it mentioned the Eastern Catholic churches in a way which I thought was rather incorrect and therefore somewhat disparaging, maybe unintentionally, but it had to be answered. And I did answer it in defense of our Eastern Catholic churches, who in fact are in compliance to the degree that they can be with the bishop's charter to protect our youth against any kind of abuse at all. In other words, the so-called safe environment or the charter, as it's sometimes referred to. And the Eastern Catholic churches are in compliance with that to the degree to which they can. You have to remember, Eastern Catholic churches have different, a little bit different structures in the Latin Rite, and primarily some things are designed with the Latin Rite in mind because it's the predominant church in America, but the Eastern Catholic churches have to kind of modify and accommodate to those things. So not always, it's not always a cookie-cutter kind of a deal. There's going to be different ways or expressions of arriving at the same point, and that's the case even with the charter and the safe environment. So that's what Catherine was alluding to in her letter. So thank you, Catherine, for your letter. Very kind of you to write. And as I said, we appreciate everybody's letters. All We really appreciate hearing from you, either by email or regular mail or phone call, and especially great to see to run into some of you in person as I get around the country giving talks. In the Eastern churches, one of the great geniuses of the Eastern churches is a certain what I call rhythm of life. There's a certain rhythm of life that is expressed and lived out in the way that we pray, especially when it comes to worship. And that rhythm is something which, in our day and age, we can use some rediscovering. So this is example, again, of how the Eastern churches have something to offer our world today especially our world today. You know, this program in the Eastern churches is not about a history lesson, although we certainly touch on history, but it's about history, but also a timelessness, a relevancy of the Eastern spirituality, and one that is, I think, particularly relevant today. 
And one of those is this rhythm. This rhythm I'm talking about is, think of it as a bell curve. There's a kind of a rising action, a climactic moment, and sort of a falling action, sort of a coming out of it, and then returning back to that rhythm again. That's basically a kind of a rhythm of life. A picture of a bell curve, you know, like a roller coaster kind of thing. You're rising up, there's the climactic point, and then there's the sort of the falling action and moving out of it, only to come back around and do it again. Now, I want you to take that bell curve, once you stand up on its side, you know what you have there? You have an S-curve. Now, as an artist, my background is in art. As an artist, I can tell you the S-curve is one of those fundamental motifs of art and design, of beauty. You find the S-curve very often in the design of nature, in the way God, as the great supreme artist and creator, designed nature and beauty. And artists utilize the S-curve quite a bit. Even composers do in the way they compose music. So you take that fundamental bell curve, turn it on its side, you got an S-curve. you got two fundamental rhythms of life. Well, in the Eastern churches, the bell curve rhythm of life is something very healthy, actually. It's very human. It's very natural to our existence. In other words, we need to move into things, experience them in their fullness, and then sort of come out of those things. Not suddenly, not drop off a cliff or, you know, cold turkey, however you want to put it in today's language, but to actually move out of it in a very reasonable way, a very human way, part of a, a rhythmic way. So it's rising action, climactic moment, falling action, and coming out of it, or you might even call it resolution, and then returning back to it. When I was in school, I was in junior high school, I was in a advanced literature class, and we were studying literature, great literature, and one of the things we did learn was this bell curve. In fact, we were assigned to write a story, and the instructor taught me something that I never forgot, because I see it reflected in all of life, really. It was very valuable, and and it helps me in a lot of things that I do, especially when it comes to creative work. He said that what you do is you have a rising action, a climactic moment, a falling action, and a resolution. In other words, he described the bell curve, and I always remember that, and I found it to be true in so much of life. And certainly it is true and lived out in Eastern liturgy. So basically what I'm driving at here is preparation and the aftermath. Those are two very significant aspects of prayer and of liturgical prayer. And we spend a lot of time, we devote a lot of energy, a lot of prayer, a lot of action, a lot of time in the Eastern churches to those two elements. In our culture, sometimes we tend to rush into things, like we get right to it. For instance, people come to church. When do most people come to church? I call it beaming aboard like Star Trek. I'm amazed, you know, when I see it in churches. Not so much at mine, to some extent, but a lot of churches I attend. I I knew this growing up, especially as a priest. You look out there five minutes before liturgy or mass is going to start, and there seems to be only half the people there. You start liturgy, you turn around for the first blessing, and the church is full, overflowing. So where do they come from? It's like they beamed aboard, just, just came out of nowhere. So we have a tendency to kind of like skip the rising part and then even the aftermath in a lot of the things that we do, especially when it comes to worship. And that's actually, it actually goes against what is a basic rhythm, basic human rhythm, basic rhythm of life, and certainly the rhythm of relationship. Let's face it, look at relationship, and that's what our worship is. Our worship, our faith, is about an intimate relationship with God. And how do relationships build? Well, just exactly that. They build, and they come to very intimate moments. And then, sometimes, then we sort of maybe gradually move away from relationship for whatever reason. Could be very good reasons, actually. Not, you know, you probably have many people in your life that you knew and shared much with, but eventually over time, you you sort of fall out of touch for no bad reason. It just seems to be the natural course of things. Maybe it was designed by God to be that way. Well, relationships follow that same rhythm. And our relationship 
with God follows that same rhythm. And so when we come to worship, we worship with that same rhythm, that bell curve rhythm. And we're going to talk about that a little more in detail. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Hello, I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I want to welcome you to Prairie Fest. That's Friday, August 10th through Sunday, August 12th, with more music and more variety than ever before at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. Friday night, August 10th at 7, rock out to the fabulous Beverly Brothers. That's why I go for that rock and roll music. On Saturday, August 11th at 2, swing with the Tilly Park Arts Alive Jazz Band. Take in the art fair and then rock with Emadar Rush. Rock and roll, Chicago. On Sunday morning, August 12th at 1130, Polka with Tony Blazoncek's new phase. At 3, the Harvest Moon Band. You'll also find $5,000 raffle, beanbag tournament, children's games, church, and prairie tours. Great food, prairie fest. Friday through Sunday, August 10th through the 12th. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Details on the events link at byzantinecatholic.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And by the way, our listener from prison who wrote Dosis Kindness to write to us, Peter in Texas, he mentioned Katie Goulas. And maybe some of you are wondering, well, yeah, where is Katie? Well, Katie would love to be on the program. And I did pass Peter's letter on to her, and she was very touched by that. She'd love to be on it. But right now, young Katie, she's young enough to still be working in graduate school. So she has a class during the time that we record this program, but she told me that as soon as she can get past that class, when that class ends, she'll be back with us here on the program, Light of the East. So I'm glad many of you really appreciate her. I certainly do too, and she misses being here. As I mentioned, we're talking about the bell curve, the rhythm, especially of liturgy, and especially in the Eastern liturgy, of preparation, climactic moment, and sort of a coming out of it, or resolution. In the Eastern churches, just to show you the depth to which we go to just preparation, I don't even know if I'll get to the aftermath part, but we'll just look at the preparation here. Say, for instance, a priest. In the liturgical preparation for a priest, in other words, when I'm going to go and celebrate divine liturgy, here's what the rubrics say, in other words, sort of the rules for the priest. The priest who intends to celebrate the divine liturgy should be reconciled, first of all, with everyone and have no animosity toward anyone. To the best of his ability, he must keep his heart free from evil thoughts. He must abstain from food and drink in accordance with ecclesiastical legislation until his priestly function. When that time has come, he goes into the church where the deacon joins him, and together they make three bows toward the east before the holy doors. Whenever a priest can celebrate, only one of them shall perform the prothesis. 
Now, what that is, that's a rite of preparation of the gifts that we have in the Byzantine church. The other concelebrants do not say this rite of preparation, but do say the prayers before the icon screen and the prayers of vesting. Now, one of the things that you just heard me read, one of the things that left out was a prescription for the priest, if he's married, to abstain from relations with his wife on the evening prior to when he would celebrate the Eucharist. That wasn't in what I read, but actually that is in the earlier and original versions. So there's a whole attitude, a whole posture that the priest is instructed to assume as part of the preparation, the rising action towards the climactic moment of the liturgy. In other words, he just doesn't arrive on the scene. He just doesn't roll out of bed or something and throw on his vestments and start the liturgy. There's a whole attitudinal preparation, sort of a disposition of the soul, which even involves forgiveness. Now, once he's there, he, he comes before the icon screen, as you heard, and he does some special prayers, some prayers that are they're prayers that are composed of some of the usual beginning prayers in the Byzantine church that all people say, but also there's some specific ones. As for instance, he would say, Lord, stretch forth your hand from the height of your dwelling and strengthen me for the service I am about to offer you that I may stand before your awesome altar without condemnation and perform the unbloody sacrifice for yours is the power forever. Amen. And then as he finishes his prayers, He actually does a prayer in which he also bows to the people, and he says this, I will enter your house, I will bow down before your holy temple in awe. Lead me, O Lord, in your justice, because of my enemies. Direct my way in your sight. No truth can be found in their mouths. Their hearts are vanity, their throats are gaping graves, with their tongues they flatter. Condemn them, O God, let them fall into their designs. Dry them out for their many offenses, for they have defied you. Let all those you protect be glad and rejoice forever, and you shall dwell in them. They who love your name shall rejoice in you, for you will bless the just, O Lord. You crown us with favor as with a shield. Now, these are composites from the Psalms, as all our prayers are, so much of the prayers are in the liturgy. And he bows to each side of the church towards the people, and then he enters the icon screen. As he enters the icon screen, he goes into the sacristy to vest. Now, during the vesting of the priest, that's a continued part of the rising action, the preparation. In the Latin Rite Church, there are prayers for vesting as well. Perhaps not as commonly done as in the Eastern Church. We always do ours. And there's a prayer, again, taken from the psalm, some of us from Isaiah chapter 60, for each item that the priest puts on. In other words, everything, everything is done in a way that is connected with prayer, with a God consciousness. That's that deep sacramental worldview that I always talk about here in Light of the East. That's very much the soul of the Eastern spirituality. And the priest puts on the first garment, which is kind of like a, a long kind of slip. I guess I can call it a slip. <laughs> it's called a stikarion in our language. And he says this, My soul shall rejoice in the Lord, for he has clothed me with a garment of salvation, with a robe of joy he has covered me. As in a bridegroom he has placed on me a crown, and as a bride he has adorned me with beauty. You see, the priest takes on in the liturgy the posture of the representation of the people, in other words, as bride, but also of Christ, the bridegroom. So in this one prayer, both of those postures are mentioned. The priest takes on kind of a dual role. Primarily, he is the manifestation of Christ, the bridegroom, coming for his bride. But he also represents the bride coming towards an expectation of the bridegroom. Then he puts on the other aspects, other articles of his vestments, and with other appropriate prayers. For example, there's a cincture or sort of a belt that we put on, and it says, Blessed is God who girds me with strength and made my way blameless, making my feet like the feet of the hearts and setting me upon high places. And the prayers continue with each article of vestment the priest puts on. Then he washes his hands, and then he goes to 
what is sometimes called the side altar. So isn't that a side altar? It's a table that looks like an altar, which is in the sanctuary off to the side. We call it the north side because the altar, the church faces east. So it's on the, sort of the north side of the sanctuary, which be to the left of the altar. And there the priest and the deacon engage an entire ritual of preparation of the gifts. In the Latin rite, you have the bringing up of the gifts you know, to the altar to be offered and consecrated. Well, we, in the Eastern churches, we have that also. But actually, naturally, it's going to be more elaborate and longer. <laughs> we have not only the bringing up, we have the preparation, the bringing around and up. You see, they're brought around in a great solemn procession, which is called the Great Entrance, which has a very, very big history behind it. In fact, the famous Jesuit Byzantine theologian, Father Robert Taft, wrote a tremendous book on this, on just on this piece of the liturgy. Imagine, he writes this deep, penetrating, thick, scholarly book just on that action of the, what we call the great entrance. It's the great procession when the gifts are brought around through the people in a procession, a grand procession, and then placed on the altar to be consecrated and offered back to God as the body and blood of Christ. But that ritual starts at the side table prior to the liturgy. Now, this ritual, we call it the proscomedia, or the rite of preparation. This ritual used to be done in a separate building called the Scalphalachian. And then what would happen was people would bring the, the bread and the wine, in other words, that which would be used in liturgy, they would bring it to that building, and the deacon would receive those gifts, and he would choose the best of them, and he would actually do the rite of preparation. Right now, more recent times, the priest does the rite of preparation with the deacon assisting, using, of course, incense, the bread, the wine, and the water. It's no longer done in a separate building, but it's done on a separate table, and the procession that brings those gifts into the altar and onto the altar is actually a remnant, like many things in our liturgy, it's a remnant of what was a grand procession from one building into the other. And one of the reasons it was a grand procession was because at that point, the, oftentimes the patriarch would enter the liturgy, would come to attend the liturgy, and the, he would be led in, with the, in this great procession. In fact, we have a remnant of that today in our liturgy with the bishop. That's the point where the bishop is at the altar, and the gifts are brought and put in his hands. He receives them and then puts them on the altar. In the Eastern churches, many things that we do are remnants of what was a more elaborate type of custom or action. Many times when you don't understand something or something seems kind of strange, always think of it as, hmm, it's probably a remnant of something that was even bigger. <laughs> but So we preserve that remnant, so we still preserve the essence of it. But many things were done in a more fuller way centuries ago, but they change. The, the, the church does evolve. It doesn't change in its essence, but it does evolve. It does change in certain levels. Now, during this rite of preparation, what happens is, once again, every item, every action has a prayer to it. And a prayer that is reminiscent, is taken from the Scripture, aligns from the Scripture, prayers that are reminiscent of the action itself. For instance, there's a point in the preparation rite where the priest actually cuts the bread, and we use leavened bread, and he cuts out a piece of it, pulls it out, and he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is being offered for the life and salvation of the world. And then he pierces that bread on the top part of it. On the back part of it, he scores it so it can be broken and distributed. But on the top part of it, on the surface of it, and again, think of it as a kind of a chunk of, of leavened bread that's cut out and has an insignia on it of the cross and the initials for Christ. And he pierces that. And when he does, he says, 
One of the soldiers pierced his side with a lance, and immediately there flowed out blood and water, and he who saw it has borne witness, and his witness is true. Well, we hope to witness to even more of the riches of the Eastern churches, and we'll continue learning more about the preparation, this bell curve, this movement towards the climactic moment in subsequent programs. So I want to thank you for listening. Again, I want to thank all of you, especially Peter and Catherine, for your great letters and for all of you ran into down south in South Carolina. And we love hearing from you. I hope you enjoy hearing from us. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>